Wanted to start this morning with a letter written by a teenage boy to his dad. This is a letter to a dad written by a teenage boy. Dear dad, it's with a heavy heart that I write this letter. I've decided to elope with my new girlfriend. We wanted to avoid a whole scene with you and mom. I found real passion with her, and she's so lovely, even though she's pretty rough around the edges. For some reason, she's asking me how much money our family has. Anyway, she's a bit older than me, about 20 years older than me. She wants to have children, which I love. And oh, by the way, there's a baby on the way now. Don't worry about us. We have a friend who has a tent. We'll probably live with them for a while. You taught me to be a hard worker. We're going to get jobs on a marijuana farm. I think those are supposed to be legal in this state. Don't worry, Dad. I'm 15 years old now, and I know how to take care of myself. Someday I'll be back with the kids so you can meet your grandchildren, your loving son. P.S. Dad, don't worry. None of the above is true. I'm at the neighbor's house. I just wanted to remind you that there are things more important than my report card. (laughs) It's in the center desk drawer. You can look at it now. I'll be home in two hours. (laughs) Letters. Much of the New Testament are letters, right? We call them books, but many of them are letters literally written by the apostles to the churches. Um, The apostle Paul wrote many of the letters to encourage, to correct, and to minister, including to the church at a place called Corinth. And today we'll look at and unpack um, the very ending of the first letter to the church at Corinth. We're continuing this brief three-week sermon series called Everyday Mission, What It Means to Follow Christ. Last week, Pastor Zardi introduced our first topic when he talked about being built for mission. You were created, you were equipped, you were made to be on mission. Today, we'll talk about living the mission, what it means to live the mission. And the text for today, as I just said, is from one of those letters, right at the very end, almost the benediction of the letter, and it preaches. There's three important points in it. It's the very ending of 1 Corinthians. It's in the 13th chapter, uh, verse 14. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and thirdly, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. Grace, love, and fellowship. Let's come together in prayer. Father in heaven, we see that your word lays out a call for grace, love, and fellowship. Help us to learn how that applies to the idea of living the mission. Help us to learn how that applies to living the mission. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. My Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. We pray this for the glory of Jesus in his name, and together we all say... Amen. So our text calls for us to unpack three things, grace, love, and fellowship. How does it apply to the fact that we are called to mission? We'll start with this idea of grace. First of all, grace means living forgiven. If you are a person who um, enjoys God's grace, you ought to live like someone who is forgiven. And we get details on that from Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace, there it is, the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation. This is the forgiveness that we're talking about. Grace gives salvation to all people. It is this grace that teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So, So here we're learning what grace allows us to do. We understand that forgiveness is a free gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it or to get God's attention. But once we are forgiven, that grace moves us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives, living the mission. We could spend our time making lists uh, here on the screens of things that the Bible says we should do, things that the Bible says we should avoid. I'll leave that for you to read on your own. But I do want to tell you the true story of a guy I met in Strongsville three weeks ago. I won't share his first name, but he was a mess. I met him at a restaurant over here in jail for nine years, hopeless, making every bad decision you can make. And then grace pressed down on him. And Jesus grabbed him and changed him and redeemed him. And he's out of jail now, and he's making good choices. 
and he's being a good husband and dad. He's got a good job. He's giving back. He's making a difference in the lives of other desperate people. Living a gracious life means being on mission. Secondly, living a gracious life means sharing grace. Grace is pressed down on you. Now, what are you doing with it? Are you sharing it? This might be a new idea for you. We know how to share love. We know how to share kindness. Are we sharing grace? Colossians 4, 6, let your conversations always be full of what? Grace, this idea of sharing grace in our words, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. This specifically is talking to using speech graciously. I wonder how we do with that. If you had to grade yourself zero, having no gracious speech, and five, being really good at speaking graciously, where would you grade yourself? Something to think about. A guy named Benjamin Disraeli, interesting name. He was the prime minister of England at the end of the 1800s. He was a prolific author, too. He wrote a book called Endymion. And there's a character in this book named Nigel. And he's a Christian guy, this character. Big, manly, broad guy. And Disraeli describes him this way. His Christianity was muscular. Isn't that interesting? I like thinking about that. Nigel's Christianity was muscular. What in the world does that mean? Well, to me, it means it's noticeable. When you see a muscular person, you notice. It's obvious. It's powerful. It's on the outside. It does not impose its will, but could do, could do so powerfully if given the right circumstances. I think when we share our grace, when we're people of grace, it's like being a muscular Christian. It's noticeable. It's on the outside. People notice it. It's obvious. It's powerful. It's on the outside. It does not impose its will, but could do so powerfully if given the right circumstances. So there's a few minutes on grace. We move on in our text now to this idea of living in love. And it means living selfless. It means living selfless. Philippians 2, 3 and 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. What could this text mean except that? Living a selfless life. This is a central truth concerning the Christian walk. Living a selfless life. More encouragement from Romans. Do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Living in love, living a missional kind of love means meaning, uh, living selfless. How many, are, um, uh, how many are familiar with the goofy gophers? Not to be confused with Chip and Dale. Those are chipmunks. They were the Disney people or the Disney animals. These are from Looney Tunes. They were in seven of uh, Looney Tunes um, cartoons. They have British accents, which I think is, tickles me. And they're super polite, like ridiculously polite. One will open the door and the other will thank him. You go first. No, you go first. No, you go first. And it's, it's, it's ridiculous. It becomes a comedy act. Their degree of politeness, their degree of selflessness. What would, what would the world be like if we just ridiculously try to out-selfless each other? I mean, it would become a comedy act at one point. But if no, you go first. No, you go first. I mean, if that's the way we... What would the church around the world be like if all of us were like, no, you, you, you're above me. Living in love means living selflessly. Luke 6, 35 and 36, love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you'll be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. So be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. One of the podcasts I listened to during the week is by a pastor in, in Texas named Brian Wolfmuller, and he had one sentence this week that just, just knocked me to my knees. He said, Jesus' death was his life's work. 
Jesus' death was his life's work. It's interesting that Veterans Day was two days ago because people in the military know their mission. They don't just hang around in uniform. They're doing something. There's an objective. Jesus' objective was to die on the cross for me and for you. Our objective, our call on mission is to share grace, to share Jesus with people. We don't just kind of hang around in uniform, but we're called to share that kind of grace. 1 Peter 3.8, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and be humble. Secondly, living in this kind of love means that we understand that it's missional. As I just said, love is missional. By its very nature, love is not stagnant. It does stuff. By its very nature, love is not stagnant. It doesn't sit on a couch, but it does stuff. 1 John 3.16, for we know what love is. Christ Jesus laid down his life for us, and now we ought to lay down our life for our brothers and sisters. Jesus was on mission. This love that we've been given, this divine love, this heavenly godly love is intentional. It wants the best for the object of our love, for the people that we love. It goes out looking for ways to help. It is not passive. It's intentional. It wants the best for the object of its love. It goes out looking for ways to help. It is not passive. You'll be happy to know that the written stated um, uh, call of the Lutheran Church is to vigorously make known the love of Christ by word and deed within our churches, communities, and our world. That is the mission that we, our greater church body, has been called to. And I think this is the heart of the message. Let your love be missional. Let your love be missional. A little bit of a longer passage here from 1 Thessalonians. Now about your love for one another. We do not need to write you. And look at this. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. And in fact, you do love all of God's family throughout Macedonia, throughout the region in which they lived. Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, do so more and more. We know that you love each other a lot, but we want you to do it more and to make your ambition to lead a quiet life. And then he gives details on how to do that. You should mind your own business, work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life might be one of mission, respect of outsiders, so that you will not be dependent on anyone. Mission. There's a Christian author you might be familiar with named Bob Goff. He writes books about love. He's, he's excellent. We've used some of his books around here. He has a book called Love, Do- uh, love Does. And Bob Goff says this, being engaged is a way of doing life. Being on mission is a way of doing life, a way of living and loving. It's about going to extremes and expressing the bright hope that life offers us, a hope that makes us brave and expels darkness with light. That's what I want my life to be all about, full of abandon, whimsy, and about love. Love the mission, live it out. So we've talked about grace, we've talked about love, and remember Paul uh, ends up his benediction there at the end of 1 Corinthians, fellowship. What could that mean? Well, living in fellowship means making connections. That makes sense to us, right? Fellow, you need to be connected with people to have fellowship. So go out of your way to make connections. Laura just talked about it, maybe in the donut room or some other time. Connect with people. 1 John 1, 3, and 5, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship or connection with us. And that fellowship or connection is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. The first sentence perfectly ties it into mission, telling people about Jesus, which leads to fellowship. Well, living out fellowship on mission also means carrying burdens. 
Here's where the work begins. Well, maybe it doesn't begin, but maybe it gets a little bit more difficult. The idea of carrying burdens, Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I've been very curious about this passage for decades. I want to know what it means because I want to do what it says. So God, what does it mean to carry people's burdens? Does it mean financial help? Could. Am I supposed to go to people's house, God, and help them with stuff? Maybe. Am I supposed to hear their problems and counsel them as best I can? Possibly. But I think in this context, it's actually kind of surprising. We'll read it again. We'll read the verse that comes before the verse we just read, the verse, and the one after it. And I think that'll help us understand that I think what God is telling us to do is do the difficult work of confronting brothers and sisters who are in sin. That's hard work. That's a burden. Look what it says. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves, or you might also be tempted. And then here's our verse. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they're not, they deceive themselves. This is hard. Who, want, who wants to do that? I don't. That's why God calls it a burden. But carry their burdens. We do it graciously. We do it kindly. We do it gently. We're patient. We choose the right time to do it. But if we are burden carriers, we've got to come to brothers and sisters and say, let's talk about this. It looks like, according to the Bible, this is not what God wants for you. That's a part of our fellowship. That's a part of our mission. Well, fellowship also means working towards reconciliation, repairing relationships, working towards reconciliation or making relationships right again. Do you remember in the Old Testament, Joseph, not New Testament, Joseph, not the father of Jesus, that's another guy. Old Testament, Joseph, he was treated horribly by his brothers. They hated him. They threw him in a hole in the ground. There was a hole. They, <laughs> what? And then they sold him into slavery. Who does that to their brother? Well, he was taken by his new slave owners, the Egyptians, into Egypt, and he rose through the ranks until he was the second highest in the whole, in the whole nation, just below only Pharaoh. He was in charge of all the affairs of this great empire. And he was a wise and good man, so he collected food, and he built up great storehouses, warehouses, in case there was a famine or a drought. Lots of food in Egypt. Well, there was a famine and a drought. Years later, his brothers come to him, knowing that there might be food in Egypt, and they stand before him, looking for food and water, but they don't know that they're standing before the brother whom they sold into slavery. And let's read how he was reconciled to them. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one who you sold in Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five years, there'll be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by this great deliverance. The guy was sold into slavery by his brothers, but the grace of God and God's love was on him, so he worked towards reconciliation. A guy named Derek Kidner wrote a commentary on Genesis, and he, he comments on what it took for Joseph to work this kind of reconciliation. I didn't really give you any place on your outline to write these in, but if it's helpful for you to write these in, find a place. First of all, leave the writing of wrongs to God. Joseph could have said, you guys are going to hang for this, and he could have done it. But he knew God was a God of justice. He knew that God would make the wrong things right. This is hard for us. 
people that we counsel in the areas of forgiveness really struggle with, I can't let them get away with this. And we talk to them about that. First of all, you being mad at them isn't, isn't, isn't punishing them. And secondly, God promises to be the just God who will make things right. It's beyond my reason and understanding, but leave the writings, the writing of wrongs to God. Secondly, see God's hand in man's malice, Kidner tells us. What does that mean? Malice means evil things. See God's hand even in evil things. Remember what Joseph said, you, my brothers, meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Somehow God works through even the garbage of life. See God's hand in man's malice. And finally, respond to mistreatment not only with forgiveness, but with practical affection. Well, this is hard. Forgiving someone's hard, but with God's help, we can do it. Now move from that forgiveness to practical affection, to sharing grace and sharing love with that person. By God's help, we can do that. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Well, how are we supposed to do that, God? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And that takes us to point number four, that Jesus did all of these things. He was gracious, he loved, and he created fellowship. I have it written in your outline. I don't have it up here on the screen. God, uh, Jesus is a grace giver, a lover of all mankind, and he reconciles sinful man to himself through his sacrifice. He's a grace giver, a lover of all mankind, and he reconciles sinful man to himself through his sacrifice. We read about it in Colossians 1. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile, to make relationship right to himself, all things, things on earth, things in heaven. And how did he do it? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This gets us back to the cross. The cross is the answer. We have a privilege as Christians, brothers and sisters, of this knowledge that even though sin has separated us from God, has broken our relationship with God, he is a reconciler. He is a fixer of relationship. But sin couldn't go unpunished. God is a just God. So the punishment that we deserve was given to Jesus. And the perfect life that Jesus lived is given to us. It's put in our account. So no, God sees us as sinless and people who deserve to be with him. That is our Christian faith. That is our free gift. Believing that you are a sinner and, and helpless on your own, but that Jesus is the son of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And he did that by paying the price of the punishment that we owe, his death on a cross. And it cost him his life. That was his mission. But we don't serve a dead God. We worship a living God. Jesus is alive again. That is the hope that we have. Live your mission. Live a life of grace. Live a life of love. Live a life of fellowship couple of next steps here. They're at the bottom of your worship outline too. Think about these things. Pray about these things this week. Let God's grace in you be what people see. Let it be the muscular part of you. Let it be noticeable. You see a muscular person walk in, oh gosh, let that be what people notice. My goodness, there's grace all over that person. Number two, leave all the writing of wrongs to God. That's what we just talked about. Would you do that? Would you pray about that? I know that's hard, but by God's grace and his mercy, his power, you can do that. And thirdly, Say yes to the mission of reconciliation. We're called to be reconcilers, fixers of broken relationships. Let God be the guide on that. I don't know how to tell you how to do that. I mean, I have biblical pointers, but let God be the guide through that. Say yes to the ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray. 
Father, we are challenged because uh, we're, reminded, uh, we're reminded as Christians, we're not just sit on the couch Christians, but we're called to mission. And uh, your word is clear, at least in the context for today, that it's a mission of grace, it's a mission of love, and it's a mission of fellowship. So thank you for your kind words, Lord. They move us, and there's power in them. For every brother and sister here wrestling with these things, Holy Spirit, come and press on them. Draw them to your word in which we find truth, blessing, forgiveness. Uh, bless this congregation. Let it be a muscular Christi- uh, 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 congregation that people know about grace, and people know that they will come here and find love, and people know they will find fellowship. We won't do it perfectly for sure, but let us do it well. We love you, and we're thankful that you first loved us. We give you the glory, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, and together we all say, amen.